0: listening to Helping of Happiness episode 103. Today we're talking to Darla Staker about what it's like to be a search and rescue volunteer. Hi, you're listening to Helping of Happiness. I'm your host, Hilary Hess, a crazy mom of seven kids who loves to eat and love to travel. Mom life can be exhausting, hectic, and scary at times. So let's take this journey together. We can love, we can learn, we can laugh, we can cry, and we can become better friends while we're at it. Hey, it's been a little crazy ride lately, right? With all this COVID stuff, I really wanted this today on this episode to give a big thank you to those on the front lines, our medical helpers, our police, our firefighters, all those other public servants. And The biggest thing that I wanted to highlight today was a group of public servants that I really honestly do not hear hardly much about and didn't know very much about, which is our search and rescue teams. They're volunteer positions, and I found out that one of my dear friends actually used to work on a search and rescue team for years, and I never knew about it. So I'm really excited for you to meet my friend Darla Staker and to hear some of her stories about how they train how she got into it what they do on their different missions that they have and some experiences that she had so I asked her to go ahead and just jump right in so here's Darla she's gonna introduce her family a little bit and then get into her story okay so um, I grew up in Gilroy
1: California the garlic capital I never (laughs) even knew that we loved getting artichokes from
0: Gilroy too
1: yes it's the best Um, I grew up in a little country on the west side, close to the mountain range that separates Gilroy from Watsonville and Santa Cruz, and we weren't too far away from the ocean, so um, had a lot of experiences with that, going to the ocean and everything, but um, we lived in the country, loved the outdoors, I was very outdoorsy, um, and loved going to the mountains. My father would take us camping a lot, unfortunately my mom Had energy health issues, so she didn't get to go with us. But we, my father took us camping a lot. So I love the outdoors. We'd go fishing and hiking and camping and warm our beds with rocks from the fire, really, you know, kind of fun stuff like that. But, and then growing up, I grew up in um, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, and they have a girls' camp program. And I loved girls' camp because they taught us um how to survive in the wilderness and um, we went on a lot of like three and four day hikes you know each year you got that you were certifying for girls camp we certified a little bit more learning a little more knowledge about um having outdoor survival skills and camping skills and hiking skills so um the third and fourth year were were phenomenal for me. We that's the year you do your three night and or three day and four day hike and certify in your skills and I I loved it. I really thrived with that. And um so I would always imagine myself, you know, as an adult, you know, going on those kinds of trips and camping blazing the and
0: trails and blazing the trail. <laughs> living off
1: the land. Yeah. So that was just in my brain and my heart. So um, years later, I met my husband um, at BYU and we dated for almost a year before we got married and we got married and um, started our family a few years after that. And, um, and then in 2004, unfortunately, my husband passed away. He was killed in an automobile accident. And so I was left with my kids, with our kids and... Um unfortunately we lived further away from from family so I took that year to finish the year with the kids and then we moved back to the area where we lived by family um, at, back up to the Sacramento area and um, we bought a home in the foothill communities um, close to the Sierra Mountains and we were close to family and that was really great and then I saw um, so that's kind of my story. Um, I have a great love story with my husband. Um, friend, our friendship, we were best friends and we just really support each other. And we loved to go camping and hiking and took our kids fishing when they're little. And we just did a lot of that kind of stuff with our kids. So we shared that passion. And um, so, but I missed him a lot. It was hard to raise my kids on my own. And I had a good family support network. Um, I was just finishing up nursing school. I had just finished um, all of the prerequisites I needed to get into a nursing program, but my husband passed away, and he was so helpful in getting me through my classes. We had just finished up his MBA program um, when we had moved away from family and took this phenomenal job in the Central Valley of California, and then everything happened and then I had finished my classes but couldn't go to nursing school because I didn't have the support system I needed to watch my kids. Um, They tell you that you have to pretty much say goodbye to your family and you need all the support you can have with your kids if you have them to get through the program and so I just didn't have that support system and so I waited and my kids everything was so raw and fresh you know with losing Jim so we moved Um, close to family, and I was just raising my children, going to, you know, the typical, I was always a stay-at-home mom, which I loved, but, you know, doing all of the, and I was able to stay at home, which was a huge blessing. We were able to do that financially with how everything settled with losing my husband, but, so, long story short, we, um, during that time, I started, you know, I saw you know, an advertisement for that. So I started looking online. So this is how I started. I looked online, I Googled once I saw the search and rescue team, I Googled for my county. So you you Google for your county, whichever county you live in is how you find the contacts for search and rescue for your county. So I Googled my county and it showed um, there are different teams that you can join Um, depending on what specialties or hobbies that you have. Like if you love riding ATVs, they have that four wheel drives. If you love, um, jeeping, some have that. If you like motorcycle riding, our team had a huge motorcycle team. Um, if you like riding horses, our, my team had a mounted unit team, mounted unit, um, and then there are also a lot of people love to hike and they have a ground pounders team, which is for hiking. Um, and then they had a really specialized unit for mountain search and rescue. And they, they had the most extensive training compared to the other teams such as repelling So they would go up into like Tahoe national forest and they would, you know, have a lot of rescues up there with um, snow uh, with skiers or snowmobilers or, hikers um to where they would have to, you know, sometimes they'd have to repel or do rock climbing, you know, rock climb up a face of a mountain or
0: um, in some pretty whatnot. scary conditions, right? If it I'm just yeah. thinking,
1: if yeah. you're
0: it's a skier, you've got snow and ice and it's that's yes. kind of a scary adventure to try to go and save yeah. somebody.
1: So the people that sign up for these teams are people that already have hobbies in those areas and are are really skilled at doing that. And then, of course, once you join your team, um, everyone in that whole county search and rescue team, you have a certain amount of classes that you have to take and pass before you can be on the team. And you have to go through quite a rigorous background check, too. So because you are representing the public, you're representing your sheriff's department and you, um, so you you have to really have a clean slate legally, financially. I mean, like there can't be any loopholes where there could be questions about you. So it's pretty extensive, you know, and it's even background check for pedophiles and, you know, anything you can imagine for, you know, legal purposes, like, you know, felons or, you know, misdemeanors, things like that. You can't have anything. So that's pretty great about that, you know, and you get your, um, you have a drug test and fingerprint and all that, and then the thorough background check. And then when that comes through, you're approved, you can start taking the classes, and it's about, there are about 120 hours of training between all the classes. So one example would be like wilderness survival and that's you know if you're not used to being out in the bush <laughs> out in the you know way out there in the wilderness and and being comfortable being out there um, it could be a little tricky you know because during part of that class you're your you show your skills so you have to pass off your skills like fire starting with your minimal tools you can't just have your matches and gasoline or whatever right <laughs> so you, You have to be efficient with your Flint and steel and all your fire starter that that is simple, that can fit in your pack, that's approved on the list. And, you know, and you have to, in 15 minutes in that class, like once they put you in your spot, because everyone is separated, I don't know, by a hundred feet or so that go, that is taking that class. Once you go out and they put you in your, you're put out there overnight by yourself, you're way out in the wilderness and you're separated by about a hundred feet or more. You can see each other's campfires at night, but that's about it, you know? <laughs> um, but you have to, like the first 15 minutes, once you're dropped off to your spot, you have to have your, fi- your rescue fire going, your emergency signal out, and your tent up. So, wow. so you learn pretty quick. And, and if you don't pass the that class the first time it's okay you 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 know you can keep taking it but you know you don't want to be like oh I had to take it 10 times and your teammates (laughs) are like oh I don't want to be out on her team (laughs) yeah so yeah and you know you have to learn 12 knots and they have to be perfect and you don't you can't have any of your training material to look at and they check that once you're set up, they come around different times during the day and night to check on you. You have to keep your fire going all night. You have to, um, you know, you have to have a couple different ways that you purify your water and show them and, and you have to get your own water. And we would take the classes during the winter. So we're out there in the winter, It got down to 14 degrees at night. You don't have a sleeping bag. You don't have a pillow. You have to make your own bed. We, we learned how to, cut pine boughs and stuff them in black plastic bags. And that's your mattress. And it actually is pretty comfortable. And so you have two of those and it's your mattress and pillow together and you can use your coat if you wanna take your coat off, but you layer your clothing. You learn how to layer your clothing. So because sometimes in emergency search and rescues, you are taken in a helicopter and dropped off to your assigned area and you're given an area to search in which you use your map and compass and your GPS, which is a, um, which is a I don't know if you've seen those, but it's an actual unit that you turn on and you can plug in different um, waymarks or uh, waypoints, and it marks where you've been. And at the search and rescue site, where when you're called in for a search and rescue. Um, and you go, they give you, they assign you to an area and they put that information into your GPS unit so that when you're out on the site, you have your exact area where you are to um, search. And a lot of times it's in a grid pattern and you learn all of that and all the other different classes so that when you're on a search with your team, you know how to do a grid search together so you don't miss one little inch of that area and it depends on what you're searching for that's more for like an evidence search
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, if there's a crime and there just aren't enough sheriffs to do that and they don't have as much specified training that that's why they train the search and rescue units to do that so we go in and sometimes we're on hands and knees if we're looking for a bullet shell or
0: so a this knife. isn't just for a missing person. This can be for anything that the, that the county yes. sheriff's department needs.
1: Anything that they wow. need. We, we could be searching for, um, you know, missing person or a child or a baby. Uh, unfortunately, in our society, we have psychopaths it, that live amongst us. And they might do something to their child. Say a couple is um, separated you know, and they're battling over who gets, you know, custody of the child, and one parent might be upset about that and not happy, and, and they're mentally not okay, and they decide to harm the child, and then, and then at that point, we're just trying to, um, We're just, we're not trying to rescue at that. After a certain amount of time frame that goes by, you know, an infant can't survive past, you know, a certain amount of time if they were just left there and hopefully they were just left there. But unfortunately some people, you know, harm them, but um, at some time it's just a um, recovery. So it's hard and you don't know, you could in a search, if you're searching for a missing person, Um, You don't know if you're going to find them alive or deceased, and you have to be okay with that. Some people can't handle that, and you have to decide for yourself if that's something, a situation that you could put yourself in, you know. So, um, but if you think you could handle that, um, that's great. I mean, we can use... I'm not a part of the team anymore, but I still consider myself part of them, but um, the teams can always use more people. You learn first aid, you learn first responder CPR, you learn wilderness first aid so that, cause you are the first responder on the scene. And so you need to attend to that patient, you know, right away, just as if an EMT was to approach. We don't have the same training as an EMT. It's not um, as, thorough is what they have. A lot of times, you know, we have EMTs on our team, which is awesome or a nurse, which is great. So but your
0: nursing background was probably super helpful going into
1: it that. Was It was huge. And I was a lifeguard from the time I was a 15 year old girl and way into my adulthood, I kept my certifications because I worked as waterfront staff for the church as an adult. So I did lifeguarding for the church as a teenager and I worked at pools as a teenager. So I had open water experience as a lifeguard on lakes and, you know, in public, like at the pools. Um, And I've done several rescues in my career with that, which it's just the best feeling ever, you know, and you keep us, you know, a calm mind, steady mind, you stay calm. So I had a lot of that experience already. So for me, it was exciting. And what I came across, you know, I would be ready just to jump right in and handle any issue, first aid like bleeding or broken bone or CPR. Um, working as a team, uh, a lot of times with CPR, it's nice to have teammates because you get exhausted yeah. in continuing chest compressions. With you know and breathing, but most now now mostly we do you know it's mostly just chest compressions. It's very little breaths to chest compressions because it's most important to get the blood and oxygen to the vital organs, but anyway, that's a whole nother story, but search and rescue is just such a great way to serve your community. Um,
0: I guess I didn't say this at the beginning, but we were friends way back in California before and after the time that Jim passed away, and I just loved our time that we had together for those short years and. Just have always loved being around you so much. You have just oh. such an air of goodness about you. It's just contagious. So
1: thank you. I know Jim and I loved you and your husband so much too. You guys were just the pr- most precious couple, and we thought so much of you guys. We were so excited for your you know, marriage and getting to know you guys. And just so fun, we had you watch our kids. That's how much we trusted
0: you. And thought. we just loved doing it. We were, I guess for our audience, we just had our oldest. We only had one. Maybe I was pregnant with my second, but it was like a long time ago. We, you know, now that we have seven kids, you can see how many years that that has been since we. Oh my goodness. Doing that. But you and Jim always were the best example to us of of being best friends and I just really looked up to you guys so much in that cuz you were further down into the kids and the marriage than we were and I just think it's special sometimes to have those friendships where you can kind of look ahead through the years and see what you what you want to be like so we just yeah. really appreciated that example I so think. much and that was something that was always important to
1: Jim and I as single people we wanted to marry our best friend. We wanted that person that we could grow old with, that was by our side and, you know, that we could turn to and that was there for us. You know, that we could always trust and have that relationship. And it just was, I don't, we just, uh, we just got so lucky that, that we ended up being in the same place, the same time and meeting and having so much in common. And we just clicked. We just, you know, we just loved each other so much. We cared about each other so much and just that friendship. Yeah, I was so grateful to have him. He saved me in so many ways. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> tell you just what a great person he was. And I hope he feels the same way about me. Oh, him, but he does. Yeah. He does. Yeah. So I do have some stories that are kind of fun to share. Okay, I um, can't I, wait. I, I just, I don't share names and I don't share where, but I can share like, you know, what they are. And I know as a team member, we weren't allowed to talk about, you know, we weren't like allowed to go on social media and say, look, I'm on in this search and rescue team and right. I mean. like all the boasting and a lot of people like to really toot their horn. You know, we weren't really allowed to do that, but we were allowed to talk with our family and friends about the situations once it was in the media. Mm-hmm. So once what we knew was in the media and everyone knew we could talk about it. So, yeah. So just out of respect though, I mean, all of these things happened obviously years ago. I've been in Northern Utah now for a couple of years, so almost two years. So, and my last date of duty was in June of 2018 there. But um, so let's see, I did some evidence searches like I told you um, it's really hard to recover things like, you know, bullet shells. But um, sometimes we were able to, sometimes we didn't. We also had a, a a dive team on search and rescue. That was pretty awesome. And they would search canals and things like that and lakes and ponds. But um, there, let's see, there's this one I'll share. There was a little girl that went missing. And we did, sometimes they ask us from another a county to do, um, another county assist so we'd go to another county outside of our county and assist them in their search because they needed the mass they needed the bodies for searching. Yeah. yeah so in this particular thing we we didn't we didn't really have a lot of information just the, the girl was missing and we so many hours so you have there's like a window where someone who kidnaps a child um has to where that child most likely will still be alive you know so we we hit the streets we went door to door we broke up into teams each team had a a sheriff with them we're not allowed to carry weapons with us as search and rescues but we are protected by a sheriff so um we would go door to door and knock on the door and you know just say such and such sheriff's department search and rescue can you come to the door please um and so They'd come to the door and we were it was in a pretty um pretty scary community. Yeah. And so, but you just feel that sense in your heart that it didn't matter what happened to you, you were there for that community and you were there for that child, you know, and you knew you had your sheriff close by, but still, you know, anything could happen. <laughs> and you don't know in like some criminal areas, like if they would be afraid with the sheriff at the door, if they would, you know, try and protect themselves or whatever, but it was pretty safe all in all. And so we'd have people come to the door and we'd ask them if they had seen this child and had any information or, and in my group, we didn't find anybody that knew anybody. And some people have dogs, <laughs> you know, that are scary or, you just you just kind of have that faith that that you're going to be okay and that you're doing the you're doing the right thing you know and it, and you're out there supporting your community and you know you it, you think of it as what if that was my child so that's kind of what it was like and um so we would search for the morning and then it, we'd have a break eat lunch and we were the sheriff's department would feed us and then we'd go back out on a new assignment and finish that assignment for the day. And then we would go back to the search and rescue site where we all meet together, all the teams together, and we report, we report all our findings. So we would write everything down. We would write, if there was something that, um, some a clue someone gave us at their door, we would write that address and their name so that the sheriff's department would have, um, those resources to go back in their investigation. So yeah, so that was one one story, one situation. Um, Another situation, unfortunately, we were looking for an infant, and um, it was, we were, we went to do a, a county, another county assist again. And it was further away. It was in an area where it was really hot. And it was in the dead heat of summer. And it was so incredibly hot. It was, we were in the 100, 104, 105 degree weather. Um, And we learned, we're trained for that. And we have to wear our uniforms. And they're they're quite warm, but they're 100% polyester. So they breathe. Our clothing breathes very well, but... So in my backpack, in my bladder, the, the liquid bladder that, that goes in backpacks that you have a little hose you can put in your mouth to drink, um, they told us that, um, that we should put in um, drinks that have electrolytes in it, you know, because we'd be searching for hours on end um, in the heat. And so I did. I, I had um, electrolyte drinks in my that were um, not just Gatorade. Gatorade has a lot of sugar in it. So mine was more for the, that come in the, the things for exercise, people who exercise.
0: Right. Barathoners. Right, you know, and- yeah. Barathoners. And- yeah.
1: Because that's basically, we were out there. And so I had that a little more professional grade. And um, so I was drinking that, but I'm telling so you, were we were you, out
0: there. Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask you oh. if you were mounted on your horse at this point, because I know oh, you did oh, some I'm of sorry. the mounted part too.
1: Yes. So I will share a story on my, mounted, on my mounted also, but this one was, we were also ground pounders. Okay. So it's, it's interesting because they, depending on the search and what types of teams they need, depending on the area that you're searching, they have special, they call you for your specialized unit to come in and assist with that search. So um the one that was in the city we were ground pounders um and the one that we were out we were out in a rural community so these were some people had hundreds of acres some people had 5 acres some had 2 acres it was kind of what the this rural search was like and we had permission from all the landowners to search their property um and then also we were on private property, like government property too, just searching down by the riverbeds and things like that. But so it was a ground pounding, but I will share a mounted unit one. So just depending on the need of the sheriff's departments, where they um, the search areas are and what they need is what we would go do. Um so but this one, so what was interesting about this one is that we were dressed, we still had our hiking gear on and everything and it was like 103 104 we were sweating like crazy um and we were out there for hours and we'd have our little snacks and food in our backpacks but um you just didn't really feel that hungry because you were so hot so oh, we were drinking yeah. a lot and the interesting thing is that is that you didn't have to pee at all because it all came out in your sweat that i mean not that is really crazy talk, to talk that way but this is serious survival here you know so you, you didn't have to go at all and but you just sweat it all out and it was the craziest thing ever the whole day we didn't have to because yeah but we would look under bushes or anything that looked you know like there could be something there and so um but we had a couple hot spots that ended up not coming up with what we were hoping for so unfortunately that child was never recovered either and it's just so sad. Um, so that was that example, and I just thought, um, and approaching people sometimes can be, you know, they don't want you on your property, or even though they, they know you're there, they might not be as friendly, you know, or they've said yes to the sheriff's department department that you can search there. They're not as friendly because you're they're, you're in their business. Yeah. You know, you, you go through their garage, you go through their sheds, you go You search their whole property, you know, and you have permission to go in their homes or kind of crazy. So I had one man one time, we were on a huge acreage that this man, I don't know, it was hundreds of acres this man owned. And for some reason, somehow he got skipped. He, we were coming and we were told we had permission to search. So sometimes, you know, we're all human, things like that can happen. It's unfortunate, but it can happen. And we were doing a grid search on his property, property, so we were spread out from each other. And he came roaring straight up to me on his ATV with a a face full of rage. And he hopped off and marched right to my face and screamed and yelled, what are you doing on my property? Get off my property. You have no right to be here. And he could tell it was like government. We were in our search and rescue gear with our sheriff's department. And he's just like, what the heck? So we said, I'm sorry, sir, but I'm not, I can't tell you why we're here, but our sheriff is over there and you can go talk to him about it. And he just, oh, just, I felt very threatened. I was very afraid, but I stood my ground and I just kept telling him what I was allowed to say, apologizing, but telling him that he could go over and talk to the sheriff. So finally, one of the other people who works as a paramedic who works in those kinds of situations like daily, she came over and talked to him and was able to really help him to go over and talk to the sheriff. So that happened. And then he came back over smiles, apologizing. Oh, absolutely. You can search, you know, once he realized what we were there for, he was all in. You're not yeah. just taken over the territory. <laughs> yeah. What is this? Some government plot? No, really? <laughs> we don't do that. But this Okay, so this other time, so I was on a mounted search and rescue. I've had, I was on a couple of those. You don't get called as much when you're when you're on horseback, because um, they have like all of the the other four wheel drive vehicles and motorcycles that they feel like can go in the bushes a little bit more. They want to protect the horses and keep us on trails, which were like, hey, look, we're four wheel drive, we're on horseback, we can go wherever. Though, <laughs> so, but anyway, so we were assigned to you know safe trails, which which was nice too, but. So there was this one, um, this one search where um, there was three of us that could go that day as a team, and, and you only answer the calls. You answer, but you say yes or no when you get the call, if you can go or can't go. Not everyone can go to every call. And so um, there's three of us on this one search, and we were looking for this lady who had um, become missing, And, um, it was up in the foothills. So she had come from lower down in the valley. She had been upset and, um, they think she was drinking and she, um, ended up in the foothill areas and pulled off the road. And that's the last, they found her car. I think they saw her, found her shoes here or there, and then they lost track of her. So, we were assigned to search um, several ravines and um, several several trails on that area. And in the morning, we were assigned one area, and we were searching and um, doing our area. And in a team, you always have someone who works the communications, which is the walkie-talkie, and you get your you're given your walkie-talkie um, when you arrive. And you know, of course, you have someone else as as the first aid assigned to first aid. Then you have um, someone else assigned to the GPS or map and compass. And then everybody else is kind of, you know, support. But we have three, so we were good. And um, I was communications at that point. Not a lot of people like to talk on the walkie talkie, you know, because you have to remember the exact proper professional etiquette and all the codes that you use because you can't just be on the air where the public could go intercept, into that channel, right. and intercept and hear you saying something that they shouldn't know yet, you know what I mean, so so people were nervous about that, but I'm like, okay, i'll take it. <laughs> just that's I why I could not do it. and if I mess up, I hope they forgive me. <laughs> but um, you know we're trained on that, so but it's you, you take a class and then you don't have it for a while, and then you try to you know brush up on it and whatnot, but, and you always give your coordinates, like your GPS coordinates, where you are when you call in, so they know where you're at, and um, things like that, but it's just really interesting, um, so we were searching our areas, and we just weren't finding anything, and we searched very thoroughly our designated assignment on the map, um, so that morning, we were coming out of the trail to go back up to the road, to go back to our Search and rescue um, site where we all report and get our new assignments, and it's our hub. I guess you call it our hub. And um, this helicopter came swooping down over us. And rem- let me remind you, we're on horses. These are these are animals of prey, so they're all. You have to think in their mind. They're always thinking, "Where's the lion, tiger, and bear going to come from to get me?" So they're always <laughs> on. You know, they're looking for stuff like that. They can spook. That's why we do so much training with our horses before they pass as a search and rescue horse. We go through quite extensive training as a team for just the mounted unit Mm -hmm. on top of what we do to be a SAR tech, certified search and rescue um, technician. Um, SAR tech is search and rescue technician. So once you get through that 120 hours, then you're a SAR tech. And in the meantime, you're training with your team to get your animal certified and working and learning how to work as a team. So it's really awesome. Um, So you're really, you're bonded with your teammates. You work well with your teammates. You're used to working together and you train together and your horses train together. So they're used to each other. And we we train, I'll put a pause on what happened with that helicopter on the trail um, and tell you how we train a little bit with the mounted unit Um, We do a lot of desensitizing in an in an arena, and we had a one of our trainer, our team trainer, had his own big arena on his ranch. It was great, and he had been working with search and rescue for probably thirty years, um, with mounted unit, ground pounder, and also in the dog training unit. So he was just very well, you know, he was great as our trainer. So we did a lot of desensitizing, giving our horses almost every Possible scenario you could imagine in public and on the trail that they could come across to not spook, to be safe, to be sound, um, and to respond the way you want them to be. Um, even down to just being tied next to each other quietly, you know, without making a scene, you know. And some horses don't do that well, so they they, they wouldn't make the team. Um, and part of the training, we we walk our horses through burning flares on the ground. We have a, the sheriff come out with, that's assigned to our team to train with us. They drive their car around in the arena with the sirens going, and we walk our horses all around that vehicle, and we follow the vehicle to where they're not afraid. And um, We train our horses to drag things. We train them to carry things. We train them to, to pony next to us. So if I'm riding a horse, and let's say I've got a horse next to me, some the riders hurt and or whatever, I can hold the lead rope and pony that horse next to my horse safely and go wherever I need to go. Um, So we do that. And then we train with the helicopter, the sheriff's department helicopter comes in and lands, but we hold our horses safely, a safe distance while the helicopter comes in and lands, but he flies over us and around us. So the horses get used to that. And then he, the Um, Pilot lands the helicopter and once the blades stop turning we walk our horses to it they stick their heads in the Inside the helicopter they we walk around it. They get really familiar So that's kind of our training and then we do trail riding training together too You know, uh, they train how to be the, the front horse riding in the middle riding in the rear you know and doing different obstacles on the trail so Anyway, so going back to the story, um, we were coming, finished our, our search in that area, coming up the trail and this helicopter comes swooping down about 50 feet above us. You know how loud they are with the helicopter blades, right? And I was riding in the back and the other two riders, we were spaced on a trail. The two other were in front of me, but one in front of the other in line. And the middle horse got really nervous and it was a newer horse that just didn't have as much experience. So, and the trail was really thin. There was a cliff on one side and a hillside on the other. So there was really nowhere for it to go and it felt trapped. So it was afraid. So it was trying to bump past the horse in front of it and the rider, she just wasn't able to control it. And it bumped past the horse in front of it and that made the other horse nervous. So they Both took off running up the hill. And my horse, she looked at me, you know, she's
0: like, Mom. What are these guys doing?
1: (laughs) Yeah, she's like, What are they doing? Do you do you want me to follow them? Or she like waited to see what I wanted her to do and I was so proud of her. I was so proud of her. I'm like, nope. So I, I pulled the reins back a little bit just to let her know, no, we're not we're not gonna do that. And we just walked up the trail, calm as could be, with this helicopter, searching the ravine just behind us, next to us, super low and Yeah, so it was, that was an incredible experience. And I think for our team too, just learning just how important it is to desensitize. But my horse, she had had so much experience before working in the public, like in parades. There are so many loud vehicles and things that are in parades. We had ridden her in so many parades and my daughter had ridden her on several um, drill teams. Um, I don't know if people know what drill teams are, but they're professional teams that compete against other drill teams and they do these really amazing shapes and designs out in the arena together. And they'll like canter and intermingle doing bare misses as they run, cantering full speed, head on at each other and do bare misses as they cross each other doing these patterns. And they do a lot of parades. And so my horse that I was riding that day, because I had three search and rescue horses, but I took her, and um, she was just so desensitized, so many parades, so many kids on her, so many loud everything, so we would take her everywhere, and so that was huge, so the helicopter, she was already used to from the training, too, but she was like, eh, if mom says it's okay, it's okay, (laughs) it's whatever mom says, I trust her, because that's huge, your trust between you and your horse is huge in your training, where they As much ground training as you could give them, as much desensitizing to different elements that are out there, loud noises, people, being in crowds, being anywhere like that is huge for them to be calm, cool, collected. Um, And it all comes down to all of that training is so important, but that trust that they feel with you as their leader, because in their mind's eye, you're their leader. You know, horses live in a herd and they have, the dominant mare in the herd, the stallion, he runs around and protects them and makes sure that they go where he wants to move them to, but there's always a dominant mare and she's the boss in there. (laughs) And, and if your horse sees you as the dominant mare, then they're going to follow you. And if you establish the trust that they're safe when they're with you, it's all about safety. It's not dominating them. It's not about cruelty and the submission to being a good horse. It's all about trust and safety, and reward, rewarding them with, you know, feeling good when they do the right thing, and they feeling safe with you, that is the best way to train them in all the situations, so, yeah, so that day worked out really, really great for me, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) yeah, there's, at the top of the hill, they were able to get their horses in line, but that was just a huge, like, okay, this is why it's so important for desensitizing the horses and maybe giving them more training, you know, before they're, you know, um, before they're a SAR Tech certified horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's just great experiences like that. Um, our second search for the day this is another great story. We were assigned to go further out by the river. So we um, loaded our horses back in the trailer. And we drove out to um, the canyon where the American River runs through it and searched where the, there's some bridges there. Um, and there was this big dirt road that went up the back of the mountain. A lot of people hike it um, to where there's this dam. It's kind of back way in at the back. And we were assigned to search that whole area in the ravine that the river followed. So um, we were riding up through there and we got to the top we, we weren't we didn't see we would stop and use our binoculars to search all along the ravine and across the ravine on the other side of the hill the best we could so that took a while but we went all the way along there and we took turns and um and then when we got to the top of the hill one of my companions she needed to use the restroom she needed to go find a bush
0: <laughs> that's all there was out
1: there and we have you know our little emergency kits. we have our own little toilet paper, we have our own food, we have our own water. we have our first aid stuff packed on our horses, so we have everything that we're supposed to have with us, like you know for seventy two hours you never know so um so my one friend she wanted to get off her horse and give her legs a break, so she was just holding her horse further back against the hill, and we took the road over to where the bushes were. I rode over with my friend to hold her horse while she went to the bathroom, and I was holding her horse. And our friend started yelling behind us, "Hey, you guys!" Blah, blah, blah. And we couldn't really tell what she was saying because she was far, far enough back that we we knew she was like trying to really tell us something important, but we couldn't tell what she was saying. And um, we don't have individual walkie talkies between us; we have one walkie talkie to report back to headquarters, right? So. Um, so I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have really like been more interested, right? So I turned and I saw her yelling, but I was sitting on my horse, holding my friend's horse. I turned, I was looking at her and trying to figure out what the heck she was saying. I couldn't tell. And um, she was like pointing and like, I'm like, I can't tell, but I, I can't get off and I'm holding this horse. So my friend comes back from the bush and gets on her horse. We turn around and we go back to our friend that's that's standing over there with her horse. And she goes, you guys, when I was yelling for you, there was a mountain lion that came up right behind you out of the, out of the ravine onto the road, between, just be right between you guys and me. And he was looking at, or it, we don't know what it was, but it was looking right at you guys and it looked at me and looked at you guys for several minutes and then went on and climbed up the mountain then just kept oh going. Oh my goodness. Oh my we're goodness. Like, oh my gosh. So that was, we're like, oh my gosh, that, that could have been pretty crazy. But the one thing mountain lions will not challenge an adult horse. So that is one thing that, you know, cause we have a lot of mountain lions or we did where I lived. There were a lot of mountain lions in that area. And you always knew that you had to put your goats in somewhere at night, or you had to you know, if you had a baby horse, they had to go in at night or, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, because they would stalk the neighborhoods and, you know, yeah. So, wow. Yeah. So the adult horses though, they won't mess with, but my two friends are off of their horses, but (laughs) anyway, so that was a scary experience, but unfortunately we, in that search, we weren't able to find the person they did eventually find her and um she had slipped down it was dark at night and she had slipped down the ravine where they found her car several ways i think she had started to climb down there and then slipped and slid further and um she passed away from her injuries so yeah but they found her the the helicopters are what sighted her They were able to get her but yeah so that was really sad so yeah but still that we had the stories to tell for our team search that day (laughs) (laughs) then we went back and reported but reported our our adventure um so those are some of the experiences. I know um, there was another story I could tell you if you want. Here. Yeah, let's do one more. There was one. I, I was not a part of that search. I think it was when I had already moved to Utah, but I was in touch with my friends. So, you know, I had no wait. I, I was there during that search because I remember being there and going. Yes. Okay. So I was there, but I couldn't go on that search for some reason. Um, there was a missing jogger. And it was out, he liked to jog for some reason out in the thick wilderness areas where there's a lot of marijuana grows. So um, you have to be careful. Those people are very dangerous. And this was kind of before marijuana became legal. So, and these are like drug cartels in a way. You, if they know you've seen where they grow, you probably won't make it out of their life. That's how serious they are about their big farm grows they have out in the wilderness areas Um, and so anyway I wasn't able to go but some other people went and there was a team of two women and a man and they were searching and looking for this jogger and they were shot at and one man was hit Uh, the search and rescue team member was hit and the two women they had they so they called it in to get a helicopter out there and so they were given a point a gps reference of where to meet and they had to cross a river to get to the, the helicopter where it could land so these two women were amazing they carried when they got to the part of the river where they were kind of chest deep They held this man above their head. I don't know how they did it. It's kind of those things where like a child or someone gets pinned under a car and someone miraculously lifts it off of someone or a tractor falls on someone and the person that comes to help them miraculously, you know, can lift that vehicle off that person and who knows how, but these two women were able to hold this man above their heads um, to cross the river to get to where the helicopter was and they had to lift him up to, um, to them to where they could get him and put him in there. But he had several surgeries, but he survived. Yeah. It was, it was touch and go, but they were able to use their first aid knowledge to stop the bleeding and to get him to where he needed to be. So that was amazing. But I mean, you're at risk. You don't know what you're going to come across, you know? Yeah. So And we have an annual dinner where um, the the sheriff's department honors the search and rescue teams. And that's really wonderful. And I remember the one that that the dinner that we had that was after that was in that year after that situation happened and how they were honored and, and we just all cheered for them and we cheered for the man that he was able to survive that and, it was hit and miss. He, it was scary for him with the surgeries he had to go through and everything, but.
0: Well, and did you get pretty bonded with your team since you were in these crazy situations that really a lot of time are probably just discussed between yourselves and not your families or anything?
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Because we could not discuss the details until things were in the news and we would discuss it and support each other, um, mentally, emotionally, um, we definitely, we were tight. Our teams, we would go for Tuesday taco nights or, you know, we'd we'd um, have our, you know, Christmas dinners every year and a Thanksgiving meal every year In our training. Um, the one where we would have, um, we would have our desensitizing training. We would have a big potluck I and mean, we're all close like family, very close. I'm still in touch with my friends. And when I visit California we get together we get together and have dinner and talk and you know some of my mates have had some health issues and we we all have a group text we hear about it we talk about it we're there to support each other and if something you know we're like family if one of us can go home out or several whatever we help however we can definitely it's a family
0: unit you're very bonded that is really cool So how often were you called out normally? Did you, I mean, I'm sure it's just kind of whenever there's a need, but how often was there generally a need? I would say there was probably
1: several two to three a month that you would get a call. So it's not like a full-time job and it's, it's all volunteer. You know, you're not paid. Um, it's all voluntary. You purchase all your own equipment. Um, so all of the hours that you serve are volunteer. They do reimburse you for gas, so if you're driving, they reinduce, <laughs> reimburse you for gas and mileage and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and after a search, they would treat the team to a meal. So when you're done, they feed, you. you know, we'd go to Sizzler or you know, or they'd have lunch or food brought in to us if we had to search, you know, all day they'd split it up and we'd go in and they'd serve us meals that were brought in from the community
0: restaurants. Wow. Yeah, that's they really they took good care of us. Yeah. So, so neat. So is there anything else that I missed? Is there anything else on your heart with oh, all this you were going to share?
1: I would just, you know, tell people if you have a passion for helping others, um, if you feel a little inadequate, don't, because you're trained how to They give you the training. But I do have to say that the training I did have, my my love for the outdoors and camping and survival skills really assisted me and helped me feel confident in the skills they were teaching us. And a lot of it was redundant for me, but a lot of it was new, too. And the experience that a lot of the other, uh, that the instructors had, because they They were also team members, but they had been on the team for years and years and years. And so they were our instructors, and they were incredible. The training that we got was incredible. But if you have a passion for that, I would, you know, say Google your county search and rescue team, and they give numbers um, to who you'd contact for that team. And that's how you start, depending on what team you want to be on, you would contact that team. And then they would get you in touch with the proper authorities at search and uh, the sheriff's department where you start the process of getting background checked and signing up. And, but I would suggest it, it's worth it. You have one meeting a month you go to with your team. Um, Once you're trained and everything, then it's just the one meeting a month. And so, and then they have the yearly trainings, like your certification might for a certain class might expire Some don't expire, some do. So you just go and retake it. Um, So there's map and compass. There's, um, you have to certify of CPR um, and they do the red cross comes and does that for you, but I don't recommend red cross. I recommend heartbeat through America and, and I would recommend getting it for the professional CPR for the professional. It's a little more in depth than CPR through American red cross. That's for, people that just the regular citizen and it's it's your basic but I don't know I, I really would suggest the other one go through heartbeat okay um yeah and I'm trying to, oh there's man tracking learning how to um if you're out there how do you track someone where they went so we learn how to figure out which shoe print is there like when they got out of the car which shoe print is theirs and we we trace the shoe print so and we keep that card on us so we know which shoe print is theirs. You learn how to, you know, the blades of grass are down or tree branches are bent or, you know, to track someone. And certain sunlight or the evening glare on on the plants, how to see the track in the trail in the different light of the day. So it's just so good. Um, I know I'm missing some other classes, but...
0: That is yeah. incredible. I mean, that's just so yeah. much... I just can't even imagine knowing all that your background was just set you up perfectly to be able to not be completely overwhelmed by the whole experience, but you had such a great foundation. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. And there's a class called rough terrain. You learn how to carry a person out in the basket, the human basket that they lay in and you learn how to tie them in with your knots. You learn, that's the one, you learn all your knots in how to, properly secure them because you have to get that basket out to where the helicopter picks them up. Then they lower the gear to you and you, you um, clamp the basket onto the ropes that they send to send the body up to the helicopter or the, I guess, depends if they're deceased, it's a body, but um, the the patient, (laughs) you know, that (laughs) way. (laughs) And you learn like how to, how to, how would you pull that, that patient up a cliff if you're, you're totally down there in the rocks and the cliffs. So we learn how to repel. We learn how to get that body up the side of a cliff. And they literally, and, and we had to be in that basket too and see what it was like to be hoisted at wow. a cliff in a basket. It's scary. I was going to say,
0: that so, would be enough training for me right there.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, yeah. So, and on the mountain, search and rescue on the mountain team, they have to dangle off. There's this huge bridge that's like 700 feet over the river. They have to, because a lot of people commit suicide off that bridge, unfortunately, every year, and, and they're called in to talk them down sometimes, that team's a mountain oh, search. So they'll go and rappel and dangle off that bridge. You know, that's something I just couldn't do. And they, they will go and hang and rappel off that bridge, and if they have to secure someone to bring them up, oh, I just, I have so much respect for them. So, you know, there's things like that too.
0: So. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all of this with me because this is just all such new information for me. And I'm sure if it's new for me, it's new for people in, in our audience. So I really appreciate you taking the time Definitely. to come yeah. on here and talk about this and encourage those that are ad- looking for an adventure and a way to serve that. This is maybe gonna be a good fit. So thank
1: you. Definitely. Definitely. And we work in community outings too. Like we're sometimes we're trying to fundraise to have to have more gear for our whole team. And we'll we'll go out and operate in front of like a sportsman's, you know, business or Walmart and you know, try to drum up donations for a search and rescue. And we've got team members out there like our dog team and people can meet the dogs oh, or the cool. horses. that is- we'll, we'll mount up with the sheriff's mounted unit. They have their own mounted unit and we'll mount up with them and let people see what we're about and who we're about. And so we do community things sometimes too, like that, that are a lot of fun. And our, our mounted unit, um, uh, can't even talk mounted unit <laughs> uh, search and rescue. We supported the sheriff's unit in our County. They would have a summer Horse camp for the kids that was like the way oh, they like so we would go and support them and we'd have different stations like you know anatomy station or grooming station or attack station how to tack up your horse put their gear on them and um, the search and rescue team the mounted unit we did the grooming section so my horses I did horse camps for kids for many many years and so my horses were really used to all those little kids around them grooming them, pulling their tail, whatever. You know, <laughs> so they all, they loved my one horse. I would always bring, cause she's super pretty. She was a paint. Her name's Ladybug and everybody would be like, Oh, it's Ladybug. Cause they'd come year after year and we want Ladybug. We want Ladybug. Cause you could do anything to her. You know, they'd braid her tail, but the other horses were really good too on our team and they were all good for that. But you know, one of the gals on my team, she would paint glitter on her horse's hooves for that week. The kids love oh, seeing glitter on her I horse's I can't even hooves. imagine. My kids would love that. Yeah. Right. So they, we would do that. We'd have, like, the classes in the morning like that where the kids would rotate through, and then we'd have games out in the field for them. And then we would work with the kids in the field of, like, crowd control, like how the sheriff's mounted unit, when they're out in the community – As law enforcement how they do crowd control so we trained with them to do that and we worked that with them and showed the kids how the horses as a team we would back people up in big crowds that were out of control and angry how we would line up and push them back as a horse team oh neat and then they they would do they show the kids how they would arrest someone who was being a drunk a drunk public nuisance and they would show how they would arrest that person and whatnot. And then how they, if someone went to someone else in the crowd was like aggressive and grabbed at the horse's reins to try to take control to pull you off, to get you, to get the officer. They, the officer showed how they would use their baton to beat that person back, you know, warn them first. And then if not, you know, how they would use their stick to get that person off of them and their horse. So it was just interesting to, that, you know, they could share all that with the kids. And, and then after that, we'd have lunch. They'd serve the kids lunch, like pizza and chips and stuff. And then and we'd all go down and eat with them. And then we'd come back up. And then at the end, they would get a um a horse ride in this big horse trailer. The kids would load in and hold the sides. And they'd ride them around on the lawn. It was a big soccer field and they'd get to ride along, see what it was like for a horse to ride in a trailer, and then after that, we did, at the very end, we did pony rides, where we walked our horse with the child on our horse in a saddle. would love um, that. Yes, yes, so that was our day, and we did that once a year, every summer for one week, so each day we of that week, Monday through Friday, we'd, we'd start all over, and a brand new bunch of kids we would do that whole thing that's so cool my yeah. kids just love
0: that so much what a neat what a neat yeah. way to teach your community about what you're doing that's really cool yeah
1: so that that's that was it it was just it was just awesome experience I always wanted to go out on one of the calls where the it was mostly mountain search and rescue but others that felt that they were up to that you had to be a certain at a to be a certain level of hiking ability, like super hard terrain to be able to go with that group. But I was trying to get myself there because I wanted to go to be called out to go where they you get on the helicopter, they take you way out in the wilderness and drop you off. It could be several days before they come back for you, maybe a week. So you have to have everything you need to survive. I could totally do that. It was the hiking, ter- it was the terrain part that I, you had to be at a certain level. Um, so I was working towards doing that, but sometimes it was snow and winter and they would drop you off and have you search your area. And sometimes they couldn't come back for you. Wow. It wasn't that you weren't finished, but they couldn't come back for you maybe for a day or two or three or four. So yeah, it was just, I, that was the only probably regret I have not have had in that experience yet.
0: <laughs> well, and I think this well, is the perfect yeah. example of times and seasons, right? You've had this season of being in search and rescue. You have this season of doing your nursing, season of raising your kids. I think that just helps us all relax a little bit about trying to do everything all at once. So I think that's pretty. Definitely. And just being patient with,
1: with what is really meant to be. You know, sometimes we always think it's it's totally what we want, totally what we want. And sometimes it's just not the right timing Mm -hmm. and we have to be patient with that because you know, we just, maybe there's something else that's more important that our attention is needed for, for that time, you know? So I think we just need to be aware of that and, and just be patient, you know, and the right time is going to happen, you know? So, it's just been like, for me, it's like every time for nursing that I have I've wanted, it's like the first time my husband passed away, I put it on hold to raise my kids. And when I felt like the time was right, I had some other situations, unfortunately, with one of my children that I had to go through and was heartbreaking and took a long time to get through. But on the end, you know, fighting through that and not giving up, you know, this child of mine is... Okay. And a thriving adult doing well. I fought that battle. We won it, you know, as devastating as, and hardest that was, I don't want to get into that, but you know, it's super, he's just doing super great. And I'm really proud of my child, you know? So and now that I can go back to nursing and focus on that, you know, there's this. So
0: <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I just love you, Darla, so much. It's oh. so fun for me to talk with you again. For well, thank you again, and you're welcome. I just love thanks you for and inviting you.
1: me to, yes. to talk to you. It was uh, it was just such a neat opportunity. I just I just felt so like honored. Like wow, someone
0: wants to hear my story. Oh my goodness, <laughs> love to hear it. Love it so much. So I don't know about you, but I learned a ton from Darla. I really had no clue that so much training went into search and rescue. I didn't realize that it's all volunteer. And I just think that it's so amazing that these people are willing to sacrifice so much of their time and their energy and really risk their lives for others. And I'm just really grateful that there's people like Darla that are out there just ready to serve whenever we need them. So go give a big thank you to another person on the front lines that is serving you today. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, we would love a rate, review, and of course, subscribe. And definitely share this with a friend if you think that they would enjoy this, or if you think it would be helpful to them. Have a great day.